just imagine. The mightiest heroes of our time. Superman. Batman. Flash. Green Lantern. Wonder Woman. Hot Girl. John Jones, Manhunter from Mars. Have banded together as the Justice League to stamp out the forces of evil wherever and whenever they appear. The Fire and Water Podcast Network proudly presents... JLU Cast. and welcome to the premiere episode of JLUcast, a new series from the Fire and Water Podcast Network covering the animated adventures of the Justice League and their eventual evolution into Justice League Unlimited. I'm one of your hosts, Cindy Franklin. And I am Chris Franklin, and you might remember us from such podcasts as Supermates, the Husband and Wife Geekcast, and FW Presents, Where Does He Get Those Wonderful Toys? If you've ever listened to Supermates, our love for the DC Animated Universe, or the Timverse, if you prefer, is very apparent, especially from me. Um, We have covered many episodes from the various series on the show, including a few from Justice League. As we mentioned in our prior episode of Supermates, Cindy and I were looking to kind of tighten up our focus on what we covered in our podcast. And since the Fire and Water Network's motto is, Find Your Joy, we decided to do just that. We decided to devote an entire show to the Timverse. But since I already co-host both a Batman Nightcast and Superman Movie Minute show on the network, and for sheer variety's sake, we decided to primarily focus on the culmination of the Timverse, the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited series that ran from 2001 to 2006 here in the U.S. on Cartoon Network. And you can kind of say that our son, Andrew, he was born in 2001, so he grew up with this on there. And you can tell, I mean, this is just an aside, but you can tell that that has shaped him. Right. Growing up with that in his formative, you know, birth through five-year-old years, I mean, that is just his jam. Well, it it was appointment TV for us because, I mean, literally he was like... It, it debuted on November 17th. He was literally like two weeks old, old yeah. when it debuted. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're a young couple with a newborn kid. We're not going anywhere on Saturday night. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> we were going to watch this anyway. And in fact, I think I always set it up and recorded it back then before mm-hmm. we got the DVDs and everything. Uh, but uh, yeah, we weren't going anywhere. It was a, it was literally appointment viewing, and like I said, on Saturday night with a view board, we weren't going anywhere anyway. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ryan understands this. Yes, he does. <laughs> uh, you know, there was there's several fine uh, BTAS or Batman animated series podcasts out there, and there's no shortage of shows devoted to DC's founding heroes, Superman and Batman. And like I said, I do two of them myself uh, with Ryan and Rob. Uh, you know, that, that doesn't mean that from time to time we won't be taking a break from Justice League and doing like a flashback episode to BTAS, Superman animated series, and then a flash forward to shows from Batman Beyond. Mm-hmm. So we, we plan on doing that. And I guess if we do a Static Shock crossover, it'll just be a present tense episode. Right, yeah, right. It's contemporary with Justice League, so... <laughs> Relatively contemporary. Yeah. And that was the other show that Andrew was just like, oh, God, Yeah, you watched it. all the time. And the first two seasons of that are now out, and we just want the third and the fourth. Yeah, the third and the fourth is where all the good crossover stuff yeah, happens for exactly. the most part. Yeah, exactly. The Justice League episodes especially. Uh, you know, we decided we're going to have some special features in each episode, I lifted the general idea for some of these from my friends here at the network, like Siskoid's FW Team Up and Chag's own Justice League show, Justice League International, Blah Ha Ha podcast. Uh, but we'll talk about those features later. 
But for this episode, we thought it would be best to focus on the history of the show, particularly how the show slowly developed from Bruce Timm constantly being badgered about, when are you going to do the Justice League? And him always saying, never, to the show we know today. Yeah. <laughs> so let's take a look at the Watchtower Files on the road to the Justice League. Watchtower Files. Of course, the seeds of Justice League were first planted when Bruce Timm and Eric Radomski were selected to head production on the show that would eventually be known as Batman, the animated series, in 1990. The history of that show has been well covered, and there is even a fine Batman, the animated series, 25th anniversary episode of FW Presents, produced and hosted by Professor Zoom Yukonori on this network. So I encourage everyone listening to go check that out. Now, during the course of Batman the Animated Series, Tim was constantly asked by fans and fan journalists if there were any plans to introduce any of DC's other heroes, particularly Superman. Tim and fellow producers Radomski, Alan Burnett, and Paul Denny wanted to keep the world of Batman the Animated Series grounded, so the answer was always no. They also didn't want to tread the ground of the much-beloved but fairly juvenile Super Friends cartoon from two decades before. Also, Tim felt that wrangling a large group of characters would be a logistical nightmare. Yeah, he's probably right. Uh, the one concession to an actual JLA member who appeared in the original run of Batman the Animated Series was Zatanna, who was portrayed as a stage magician, not a sorceress, as in the comics. During the original Batman the Animated Series run, Welsh Publishing and DC Comics collaborated on Superman and Batman magazine where fans first met versions of the other non-Batman DC characters based on Tim's art style. From there, Superman, complete with then-current-to-comics mullet, sorry, Michael Bailey, appeared in Batman Adventures number 25. Now let me ask you this. Do you think that his hair was a mullet back then? I refuse to comment on the situation. <laughs> I, just, I don't think you've ever weighed in on that. I... I will, I will, I will always say that it, I don't think it was intended to be a mullet. Like Dan Jurgens didn't really draw it like a mullet, but other artists drew it like a mullet. You know, I think Dan Jurgens was going for like Michael Landon. You know, mm. Michael Landon always had long hair right. like that. And I, but other guys made him look like Billy Ray Cyrus. I'm just that's what I'm just saying. Uh. Let it go. <laughs> Move on. Moving along. Moving along. Okay, following the original run of Batman animated series, Tim and most of the company minus Radomski moved on to Superman, set to debut on the fledgling WB network. Having a harder time getting a grip on the version of Superman they wanted to present, Tim originally pitched the idea of a Superman and Justice League series with rotating guest stars from the DCU. It was DC President Jeanette Kahn who convinced Tim that the Man of Steel deserved his own show first. Tim did designs for several heroes who would eventually make it onto Justice League albeit often in alternate forms, including Jon Stewart with his 80s mask and more hair. Others, such as Black Lightning and Nightshade, weren't so lucky. Over the course of Superman the Animated Series, several potential Justice Leaguers did debut in the DC Animated Universe, such as Aquaman, Flash, Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner, and Dr. Fate, as well as Superman supporting heroes Supergirl and Steel. An animated version of the Justice League continued to gain steam over in DC Comics when they launched a companion title to their successful Batman and Superman animated spinoff books, Adventures in the DC Universe. The whole DCU was fair game, with characters who had never before appeared on the shows adapted into Tim's style for the first time. There were even Justice League adventures presented in that title. 
In the regular DC Universe, the Justice League franchise relaunched with JLA, written by Grant Morrison with art by Howard Porter. The League was returned to greatness, with Morrison's unique take on comic storytelling filtered through the lens of classic JLA Silver Age tales by Gardner Fox. That team consisted of the original seven members, albeit in their current comic forms. Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman with the hook hand, and Martian Manhunter were joined by the then-current versions of Flash, Wally West, and Green Lantern, Kyle Rayner. The book was a massive hit, both commercially and critically. The Justice League was hot in comics once more. And let me tell you, I worked at a comic shop when that came out. That book was huge. <laughs> huge, 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 huge. His time at Fox over, Batman joined Superman on the kids' WB with new episodes in a new, streamlined style, courtesy of Tim and designer-producer Glenn Marikimi. The new Batman-Superman adventures further solidified the continuity of the DCAU with many crossover episodes between the heroes, their partners, and foes. The new Batman episodes also introduced animated versions of Etrigan the Demon and the Creeper as the ban on more outrageous story elements was officially lifted. Yeah, when you're sharing the hour with the alien from another planet who, you know, has laser beams coming out of his eyes, kind of pointless to try to keep things too grounded. Yeah, true. Yeah. yeah. Uh, WB's merchandising arm took notice of the appeal of the animated versions of their characters, and soon comics-inspired versions of Wonder Woman, Kyle Rayner, Aquaman, again with Hook Hand, Captain Marvel, and Hawkman were seen alongside the Superman and Batman families on such products as Kraft Macaroni and Cheese, and kids' meal toys from chains like Jack in the Box. Mm-hmm. We had a hard time tracking all of those yeah. down. We did, though. Early eBay purchases. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tim, Denny, Burnett, and Murakami added a third series to their workload when the idea of a teenage Batman was pitched to them by the head honchos at WB. First, balking at the idea, the team embraced the concept rather than see others break their toys. Ultimately setting the series 50 years in the future with an old retired Bruce Wayne as mentor and a young kid as the new teched-up Dark Knight, Batman Beyond showed us what the DCU would eventually evolve into. Early on, the team tried to keep references to the current shows to a minimum, but by season three, Deanie had finally convinced Tim to go back on his word at last. In the two-part story, The Call, young Batman Terry McGinnis is asked to join the Justice League Unlimited, along with other young heroes and old pros, Big Barda and Superman. It is revealed Bruce Wayne was also at least a part-time member of the Justice League in his past. While ultimately pleased with these episodes, they proved to be as logistically challenging as Tim always suspected they would be. Trying to track the movements of up to seven heroes in an action sequence was as daunting a task as predicted. With Batman Beyond wrapping up, Tim pondered the next project for his dwindling crew. Despite his misgivings, the logical choice was, of course, Justice League. He asked storyboard artist and director James Tucker to put together a rough mini-pilot reel for a Justice League show for Kids WB. Since that network loved to have young heroes in all of their shows, Tim and company added Robin, Impulse, which was Flash's young descendant from the future, and a female cyborg that, depending on what you read online, may or may not have been intended to be Steele's niece mm. in that outfit. Natasha to, Irons. Yeah, Natasha Irons. To a team consisting of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, Green Lantern, Jon Stewart, and Hot Girl. Ultimately, the pitch went unused when Tim called up the head of Sister Division Cartoon Network and asked about doing a Justice League series and got an instant green light. Now that they could do the type of Justice League series they wanted, 
The kid idea was jettisoned, probably to distance the show once more from the Super Friends. Yeah, nobody wanted Wendy and Marvin again. <laughs> you have got a serious... I hate Marvin. I don't mind Wendy, but I hate Marvin. Uh, production began with Tim Tucker, Murakimi, and Rich Fogel as producers. Deanie and Burnett had moved on to other projects. The announcement of the Justice League animated series met with overwhelmingly positive reaction from the fans who have been clamoring for it in one form or another since 1992. It took nearly a decade, but despite reservations from the creators and through sheer force of will, it seemed the idea of a Justice League series in the Tim style was destined to happen. Yes. So we'll have a bit more discussion on the development of the show as we discuss the debut three-parter after this podcast promo break. Don't go away. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfenstaffner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? Uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is, like, DC events. DC events? As in the comic books? DC events? Yes, yes. The comic book events. Ooh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very. Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh. Okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What, what, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DC OCD. Oh, okay. When I won't even start? charge you for it. <laughs> awesome. I don't think I can claim you on benefits. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. <laughs> when shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my, I'll check my timetable. Cool. Okay, we're back, and now we're going to jump into discussion on the debut episode of Justice League, Secret Origins. Justice League was originally scheduled for Saturday nights at 9 p.m., as we said before, on Cartoon Network, normally running an hour or two half-hour episodes. Most stories consisted of two half-hour parts, so Cartoon Network could then strip the half-hour version later. Being the premiere story, Secret Origins is actually three parts, so that it ran for an hour and a half counting commercials. A true TV movie event type of thing. Yes, definitely. Cartoon Network really went all out on promoting Justice League with teaser commercials airing long before the show's premiere and a constant barrage of ads on the network leading up to the big night.
Justice League, premiering November 17th at 7, only on Cartoon Network. Okay, so we'll jump into our synopsis of Secret Origins. Secret Origins was written by Rich Fogel, directed by Dan Ribba and Butch Lukic, and it premiered November 17th, 2001. Our voice cast, which is primarily going to be the voice cast of this entire series, consisted of Kevin Conroy, of course, as Batman, Maria Canals as Hawk Girl, Susan Eisenberg as Wonder Woman, Phil Lamar as Green Lantern, Carl Lumley as John Jones, George Newbern as Superman, Michael Rosenbaum as The Flash, Gary Cole as J. Allen Carter, Jason Marsden as Snapper Carr, Susan Sullivan as Hippolyta, Max Brooks as Howie, Corey Burton as Bald Tech, Wanda Kristen as Female Tech, Clyde Cousteau as Japanese Ambassador, and Kevin Michael Richardson as General Wells. Part 1. U.S. astronaut J. Allen Carter discovers remnants of a previously unknown civilization on Mars. Carter breaks the seal on large doors covered with alien language, unleashing a strange force which seemingly overpowers him. Two years later, Batman is investigating sabotage at deep space communication facilities. He finds three of his own employees tampering with a deep space satellite at Wayne Aerospace in Metropolis. The three seemingly normal humans install a strange, unearthly device on the dish and put up a superhuman fight against the Dark Knight. Superman arrives to lend a hand, but is temporarily disabled by what appears to be a powerful psychic attack. The three saboteurs get away, but the Man of Steel presents his pal Batman with a signal watch to call in case he needed any further help with his investigation. There's more to this than meets the eye. I'd like to stay and look into it, but I'm expected back in Metropolis. Another key to the city? Here, it's a signal watch. Call if you need any more help. Right. Superman then appears before the World Council to support now Senator J. Allen Carter's plan for nuclear disarmament. Although met with some resistance from military leaders, Carter's plan is ratified. And for the next six months, the Man of Tomorrow goes on a quest for peace. Oh, I like how you did that, by the way. Thanks. Uh, disabling the world's nuclear stockpile. As the media tracks Superman's progress and the public's opinion on the matter, The Flash offers a flippant quip to TV news reporter Snapper Carr. Hey, the big guy's heart's in the right place, but give me a break. I'm the fastest man alive. And even I can't be in five places at once. Batman's investigation continues, tracking his former employees to an abandoned Star Labs facility in Metropolis. There, the Dark Knight finds pods containing the real human versions of the people he has followed. A shape-shifting dog lets the world's greatest detective know that the creatures he has been pursuing are indeed alien in nature. Batman is injured in the attack, but not before he can activate that signal watch. Having been woken by another psychic episode, Superman comes to Batman's aid, just as a large meteor crashes in the heart of downtown Metropolis. Giant tripod walkers that seem both mechanical and organic emerge and begin laying waste to the city. Even Superman is no match for their energy blast, and Batman's weapons on his Batwing prove just as useless. Preparing for another go at it, Superman again receives a psychic jolt, but this time heeds it as a message and flies off. 
With the military arriving to try their hand at taking down the invaders, Batman pursues the Man of Steel. Meanwhile, other meteors crash all over the globe, all containing the same invasion force. On the hidden island of Themyscira, Princess Diana laments the omens foretelling the trouble in man's world. Her mother, Queen Hippolyta, turns a deaf ear to the events. Cape Crusader finds Superman breaking into a secret military installation. Deep within the facility, they find a tall green alien held prisoner. Freeing him, the alien identifies himself as a Martian named Jean Jones. He had come to Earth to warn its populace of the coming invasion, but was captured and held by the military. Using his telepathic powers, he tried to reach out to Superman on several occasions. To ease his new ally's minds, Jean assumes a more humanoid shape, complete with superhero costume. As the three prepare to leave, the military closes in. Superman pleads their case, but is shocked to find their opponents aren't human at all, but the shape-changing aliens who have now invaded Earth. We'll need to contact the Joint Chiefs right away. Stop right there, Superman. You're trespassing in a restricted area. Our orders are to keep that freak here. Wait, I'll vouch for him. You must let us go. I don't think so. But the world's security may be at stake. That's why he'll never leave here alive. We'll take a break here, and uh, we'll synopsize each separate episode. Okay. Kind of break break things up a little bit. Um, I think this one's got a great cold open. Uh, not how you'd expect the series to start. I mean, there's no Justice Leaguers even in evidence mm-hmm. uh, before the title sequence. Uh, but it sets up a great mystery. I really, I really think it's sharp. What do you think about the opening title sequence now, you know? Now looking back at it, and I mean, I you know, it's one of those cases. It's what a kid could do on a computer. <laughs> you know, I'm sorry, it is. You know, just the shapes of it and stuff like that. But it's what you know a kid, a nowadays kid, could do on their computer. Yeah, and, and turn in. But I understand that you know that was the limitations at the time. But now looking back on it, um, especially you know when you have. John Stewart and Wonder Woman, those two particular sequences are really clunky looking. Mm, because they're closer up on them. They're closer up on them. They're more rounded. You can, I, no. Mm. Whereas the rest of the, the rest of the show is classic animation and, you know, that's timeless. Whereas this tried to look cool and, sorry. Yeah, I, I think the rest of it, I think the only thing that really stands out to me in I didn't even really like it then. It was them walking when they first walk out. Mm. I mean, it is, and the whole thing is a little slow, I think. I mean, it's, I know it's trying to be epic, but I, I always kind of felt like it was a little, it was a little tedious every week watching it, you yeah. know, because it was just so, it's such a slow build every time. It, you know, and, and, and them walking out just, it never, they never really looked like they were walking. It kind of looked like just, and, and, and I think part of it too was, the the proportions of Tim's design. I mean, obviously that can work. The Incredibles is right, pretty right. similar design aesthetic, uh, but they hadn't figured that out mm-hmm. at that point. And this was Bruce Tim's first foray into CGI animation. Uh, you know, I, I think I think the opening for Justice League Unlimited holds up a whole lot better. Uh, but it's what we got, and it's what we got for the first two seasons. Yeah, and so. like I said, the the rest of it. The rest of it's okay. Um, of course, uh, 
the theme by Lolita Ritmanis is powerful and says Justice League, but as we discussed on Supermates episode number 75, the theme is very similar to the opening theme to Hammer Studios' Twins of Evil. evil yeah. Twins of Evil! Uh, composed by Harry Robinson. Um, you know, Tim is an avid Hammer fan, so it's not surprising that he would ask for Ritmanis to stick close to this theme, even if it's really the theme to the misguided zealots of the Brotherhood in that yeah. film. Uh, which is kind of interesting. But, you know, according to sources like our own network pal, Zoom Yukonori, the actual Robinson music was used in early screeners of Justice wow. League. Uh, so, yeah, the whole thing seems a bit dodgy. You know, it's, it is what it is. I, you know, you can make your own judgment on it. Hopefully Robinson got some money. Yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Like I said at the time, I don't know if it's one of those cases where Hammer's uh, the rights to Hammer films are so spread uh, far and wide that they maybe thought they could just, you know, get Cabbage by. It. Yeah, get by with it, but whatever. But the music in this episode and throughout the series was provided by Rick Manis, Chris Carter, and Michael McQuistian, who are known collectively as Dynamic Music Partners. And they originally assembled under the guidance of Batman the Animated Series and Superman series composer Shirley Walker. Now, Walker had set her students free on this series. She wasn't involved. Gotcha, gotcha. And unfortunately passed away in 2006. Big surprise, it starts out with Batman. Uh And as you know, and we won't want to get too spoilery, but uh, the series, you know, as far as the heroes go, begins and ends with Batman. But you have to think that this whole thing kind of organically came out of Batman the Animated Series. So, you know, that was, you know, Tim's wheelhouse and what he... What he knows, probably the character he's probably closest to. And yeah. So you know. Definitely, yeah. It's it definitely is. I mean, this is this is definitely that Batman was the gateway to mm-hmm. this to this universe. So it it completely makes sense to, to start out with Batman. I really like the Batman redesign. What do you think in this? I think suit? it. I think it works. I mean, it works in that universe. It keeps the elements that you really like. You know, the. The, the pouch belt and things like that, so. Yeah, it's it's a nice blend of, like, the color palette more from the original animated series with some of the design elements, like you said, the pouch belt and the no oval from the new Batman Adventures. But then he's got the elongated Bob Kane-like ears of Batman Beyond. So mm-hmm. it's like every, he's like a, they threw amalgam. an amalgam of all the three different series they've done so far mm-hmm. in the Batman. Now, one thing that I want to make sure we bring up is that very briefly, Bruce Timm toyed with giving the Justice Leaguers a uniform look. Mm-hmm. And he went so far as to at least design uh, Batman and Jon Stewart in that, uh, in that style. Batman didn't even have a cape. And mm-hmm. so you're kind of getting into, I guess, kind of Batman Beyond type territory. Uh, but, uh, that idea... No capes, darling. They distract. Yeah, yeah. They distract from the now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you, Edna Mode. Uh, but, apparently, you know, he kind of already kind of nixed it in his head, and Paul Levitz, who I guess was, I guess he was, like, vice president at the time, he ended up being president of D.C., he was like, uh, yeah, you can mess with the designs of everybody else, but you can't mess with the designs of Superman... Batman and Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Oh, if they only stuck to that motto in the in the coming years. Uh, but <laughs> obviously, that idea went out the window when Paul Levitz left. Uh, but yeah, but so 
that idea was next. Although those designs will be revisited mm-hmm. down the road in this series. No spoiler warning there, but most of you know where they were reused. But yeah, mm-hmm. or if you really want to know, listen to the episode of Where Does He Get Those Wonderful Toys? Yes, where we talk about this. Yes, that's true too. We've already kind of spilled the beans there. So yeah, they used them on the Justice Lords. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Well, of course, Batman is voiced by Kevin Conroy, mm-hmm. and it goes without saying that for many, he is the voice of Batman, including including us here. Uh, in addition to his many hours expertly playing the character, his voice has been heard in the heads of thousands of comic book fans when reading the Dark Knight stories for at least the past twenty five years. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so I would love an opportunity to meet him. Oh, I do. At a show, I, yes, you know? I, if if he comes anyway, he's never he's never been to any show around these parts. But I if don't he, think so. If he ever is, I'm I will beat feet to get there. I mean, yeah, I will I will get him. I don't know what I would get him to sign. I might try to get him to sign my like the very first Batman animated series figure. The yeah, combat belt Batman. That would be cool. Yeah, get him to sign that. Well, I mean, Andrew would be like, oh. <laughs> him, I would be. What are you talking about? <laughs> say something, Batman. Like, say it. Say it, say it, say it. Come on. Say I am vengeance. Can you say it? <laughs> Will you be my new ringtone? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm sure he gets asked that all the time. Oh, yeah. Um, the mystery around these seemingly normal people doing extraordinary things like lifting huge computer banks and tearing holes in walls is a pretty nice setup. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's like, because they, you know, they show the guy going out, it's like, hey, see you tomorrow night or something. He's like, you know, and yeah. he like does the shooter thing at him and and they walk out and the guy just goes over and lifts this huge computer bank. And, and you're like, what? Yeah, and they're talking in weird tongues, strange alien tongues. And, uh, and then Superman shows up. And, ah, uh, Superman, uh, we have a lot to discuss uh, with the Man of Steel in this series. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, right off Power the, levels. Yes, me. in particular, power levels. Right off the bat, he's felled by John's psychic message. Uh, Superman getting easily knocked down or out will be a recurring theme, particularly in season one of this series. And Tim and company... Uh, said hello to the internet with a lot of criticism thrown their way for it. Mm-hmm. And this is when the internet was really gaining steam by this point. Uh, and yeah, they, they got a lot of flack for the fact that uh, they maybe took Superman off the table too quickly and too easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we should keep a tally of these moments. I think we will. That'd be a good idea. Let's do yeah. that. Uh, also of note is Superman's redesign. Uh, Tim decided to add a bit of age to Superman's face and make him look a bit more mature to show some time had passed since Superman the Animated Series with added lines under his eyes and prominent, super prominent cheekbones. Yeah. The result is something that Tim himself later referred to as old, tired-looking Superman. God, I'm doing this again. Yay, save the world. Booyah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's, it, yeah, it, I'll be, yeah, the design stays through season one, folks, uh, you know, it, I think I've seen the design on paper under Tim's pen, it looked good, it was one of those cases where other people didn't interpret didn't quite, it yeah. correctly, and there's something, Superman's S-Shield sometimes looks weird on Justice League to me, it, it's not anything I ever noticed on the animated series, of Superman, but it's like the upper half of his S is like too big, and it makes the bottom tiny by comparison. It's probably just me. Yeah, probably. It's probably just me. Okay. Um, now, Sorry, but you know. Yeah. Now Superman's look wasn't the only thing that was different. 
Original Superman voice actor Tim Daly was committed to a new TV version of The Fugitive, which I don't even think lasted a whole season, Mm -hmm. but it was based on the then-recent Harrison Ford film. So a new Superman was needed, and George Newbern, best known for his roles in Father of the Bride series of films and Designing Women, Mm -hmm. he ably filled the red boots of the Man of Steel. Mm -hmm. And can I make a confession here? Prepare the hate mail and all the comments on the website, folks, because I actually prefer George Newbern to Tim Daly. I like both, but I honestly think Tim Daly's voice often lacked, like, excitement. He seemed kind of bored and too reserved sometimes. I Now, did Newbern stay with the series the yeah, whole time? Yeah, he's Superman throughout Justice League. And I know he says one of your le- your favorite lines of all time. Come on, it's Lex Flippin' Luther. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, I mean, I don't think Tim Daly could have delivered that like that. His mm. Superman's way too dialed back. I like Tim Daly. Don't don't get me wrong. I like Tim Daly, but if I had to choose which one I like better, it's George Newbern. He emotes through his vocal modulation more. So that's just me. But do you have a preference? I think it depends on the situation. Mm. I think you're right, though, is that newborn newborn has more of a range. Right. So. Yeah. I, I think so. You know, seems a bit. Now, one thing about this, and I, and and it sounds if we're being nitpicky, don't don't take it wrong. We really enjoy this episode. And, of course, the series, or we wouldn't be doing it. But, you know, podcasts, so we got to, you know, point out things. It does seem a bit odd and convenient to the story that Superman and Batman just let those three people just walk off into the woods. Yeah. You know? and he has time to go, you yeah. know. Obviously, they're not quite human saboteurs, and they just let him get away. Yeah. And Superman's like, oh, i got to go to the UN, so uh, here's a watch, you know. <laughs> Which... Just like Jimmy Olsen. He's you, like, uh, Batman's thanks. Like, thanks. You realize I wear a Rolex, right? <laughs> yes. Well, it's kind of like when you got the Wonder Woman, the Amigo Wonder Woman when you were a kid, and you're kind of like, uh, thanks. Yeah, what am I supposed to do with this? Okay, I'll take the glasses and coat and put it on my Amigo Superman. Yay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we have our astronaut turned Senator J. Allen Carter. Uh-huh. Uh, could that possibly stand for Jay Garrick? Alan Scott and Carter Hall. I think so. The original Flash Green Lantern, Hawkman, and founders of the original superhero team and the JLA's forebears, the JSA, the Justice Society of America. Mm-hmm. Also, J as in John for John Carter of Mars. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that has that, something yeah, to do with it. Yeah, it might have, and maybe the J Allen's just a coincidence, but that, you know, but that, I know the John Carter's. You know, yeah, definitely that. Yeah. Also, Jay Allen Carter is voiced by none other than Bill Lumberg himself, Gary Cole. So he's going to need those TPS reports on those nuclear missiles, like by Friday. Okay. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, Peter. What's happening? Uh, we have sort of a problem here. Yeah, you apparently didn't put one of the new cover sheets on your TPS reports. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry about that. I. I forgot. Mm, yeah. You see, we're putting the cover sheets on all TPS reports now before they go out. Did you see the memo about this? Now, Superman refers to trying to earn the planet's trust over the years. This is the one reference in this episode 
the last time we saw the Man of Steel in current continuity, and that would be the Superman animated series finale, Legacy. And you know that's where Darkseid yeah. brainwashed Supes and turned him against the Earth. And at the end of that episode, Superman's public opinion poll ratings were way down. So yeah. <laughs> it was kind of an odd place to leave the show, honestly, although it's a great episode. Oh, yeah. But, yeah, so Superman, so obviously some time has passed and he's gotten some cred back. But right. it's still kind of hanging over him, I think, a little bit. Uh, so, yeah, like I like you pointed out, me being a smart Alec in the synopsis. A smart what? Alec. I'm trying to keep this, you know. Oh, okay. Kid-friendly. Okay. Uh, they're basically doing Superman for the quest for peace. But hold that thought until we get to part three, because Tim and company are rarely that obvious without throwing you a curveball or two. Truth. So just hold that thought. And yes, this, this has a much... This animated episode probably has a... One, part one probably has a bigger budget than Superman 4. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, the one thing that's amazing is the creators managed to take to make some use of Snapper Carr, one of the most loathed characters ever to grace the comic medium. Snapper was the teenage mascot of the JLA in the Silver Age. He was installed at the insistence of DC bigwig Whitney Ellsworth, and based upon the character of Kooky, played by Ed Burns on 77 Sunset Strip, a show that was huge when JLA started but has had little cultural impact since its heyday, I mean... Cookie, cookie, give me your comb. Yeah, basically, that's it. But the only reason you and me know that is because our parents knew it. I know, Because I know. we have older parents that remembered that. Yeah. Uh, Snapper was initially quite prominent in JLA stories, eventually fading into the background, until young fan-turned-pro Denny O'Neill had him betray the team in JLA number 77, December 1969. I actually just read that story for the first time. Mm. And Denny O'Neill has this... Denny O'Neill, I love Denny O'Neill's stuff, but he has this way of like when he wants to write like something out of a comic book and just say no, that never happened, or we're getting rid of that. Man, he is ruthless. He rips Snapper a new one and just makes him just totally betray the league with like you have no sympathy for him. It's the same thing he did when he got rid of the Super Sons when he then he said, oh, the Super Sons are you know that was a computer simulation and they have to go kill themselves in the disintegration pit in the fortress or it's gonna yeah, they're like, okay. Yeah, fine. destroy reality. It's like, oh, want to join me in some annihilation? Okay. And they jump in together. It's like, whoa. So, <laughs> But <sighs> using Snapper in the series, who does snap several times in this these episodes, as the show's media voice was a nice touch. Yeah, but, I mean, I know it's Snapper Car, but I think if they had just shown him the one time snapping, hey, Snap two, take a picture, you know, take pictures of this. But, you know, several times, the, they had him snap three different times during that. Yeah. And the other two times that they snap, aside from that first one, it's so obvious that you're like, yes, hang a lantern on it. We get it. His name's Snapper Carr. We get it. We got it. Okay? Fine. <laughs> got it. <laughs> well, they just want you to know he's named Snapper because he snaps, not because he like likes Red Snapper or something. I don't know. Um, no. I'm allowed to have my opinion. No, you're fine. I know I am. Yes. We briefly see the Flash, who we met in the Superman episode Speed Demons, mm -hmm. originally voiced by Charlie Schlater. Here, Michael Rosenbaum takes over the role and makes it his own. And Rosenbaum is doing double duty in the DCU at this time, playing no less than Lex Flippin' Luthor on <laughs> Smallville, which also launched in the fall of 2001. Right. So we were like, whoa, double hitting the double. I remember when Smallville, like the first week it was on, we didn't have 
uh, the CW. Mm-hmm. And like I, we like scrambled around with our cable company, our uh, dish company, and managed to get like the local channel so we could watch it. And yeah. then they, and luckily they showed the they premiere. They re-showed it. Re-showed yeah. the premiere episodes. So we didn't lose. We saw the. We saw it before they aired the second episode, so that was good. Uh, we don't know who this Flash is yet, and I don't think the creators had even really decided at this point, but eventually we'll learn it's Wally West. And this version of Wally is a little more juvenile and flippant than, than any version from the comics, but he's very endearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's the comic relief now, but some would argue he's the heart of the team later on. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, which we're not going to spoil, but yeah. Yeah. Put a pin in that thought. Yes. We jump ahead six months, and Batman is just now tracking down the saboteurs. I mean, come on, Batman. Speed up the timetable. Yeah. <laughs> greatest they, detective my ass. The things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, at that point, I'm just going to let that go. <laughs> uh, I thought it was cool when the dog changed. That was really well done. He was really super creepy. He was freaky looking, the alien mm-hmm. dog. And I really actually like the designs of the aliens. They're globulous, and they have humanoid bodies, but no real features. They're just white goo with black innards and red spots. It's it's very unique and very alien, you know. And, and this show's got three aliens for heroes, plus one intergalactic cop who works for a group of aliens. Mm-hmm. So it's good to make these guys look truly bizarre, to say alien you know i do have one nitpick about that particular scene though because you know batman goes in yeah and he sees you know the the three technicians that are real human forms you know right and he just cuts the guy out you know the big guy out lays him out on the floor and then he doesn't go back for him here's a guy that's been out for at least six months What? No, go ahead. I'm go. I'm letting you go. Go ahead. Go, go, I mean, go. He, he's giving me an incredulous look. But anyway, you know, he lays the guy out on the floor, and then he gets his butt handed to him, and Superman comes. But what happened to those people? And I'm sorry, but he's in, you know, they've got him in this stasis. Who just opens him up? How did he know? How did Batman know by him opening up that, that little sack that he wouldn't instantly die? Because he's the god... No, 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 I ain't going to say that. Uh, <laughs> no, you're not either. Uh, but uh, I had never thought of that until you just mentioned it. I mean, he just... In the fact... Not not so much the fact that... Yeah, there's two things there. And that's the reason I was looking at you. I wasn't looking at you like, what are you doing? I was looking at you like, oh, you're, you're on to something there. Because uh, your logic class has joined the Justice League. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, because... Not only does, like you said, I mean, who knows? I mean, the guy could like die the minute he takes him out, or it could be a trap, or. It, but then, like you said, he just they just leave those people there. I mean, it's just it's like, of course things get kind of hectic, and they're kind of like the immediate threat is like they're all going to die if they don't stop these giant things that come out of the media. But this poor guy, and he's in his underwear, and you know, yeah, I mean, poor fella. I mean. I've been out for six months, but, you know, at least six, you know, yeah, at six, least six seven months, months yeah. you know, and, you know, here I am in my underpants. What the well, heck? Well, apparently whatever they're Covered feeding him, goo. whatever they're feeding him in there is pretty close to his regular diet because he's still got a big old pot belly, so. Mm. <laughs> like we said, things pick up really quickly as soon as Superman comes to help Batman. You know, I mean, the meteor comes in and then it's like all hell breaks loose, so I do love the bit. When that nurse that Superman takes Batman to an ambulance down the street uh-huh. and put, they put him on, puts him on a gurney, 
and uh, you know the nurse comes up to Batman, tries to pull back his mask, and he's like, "Don't even think about it." <laughs> yeah, it's just like, <laughs> it's awesome. Uh, again, Superman is getting his ass kicked pretty easily here. Uh, and later we'll see some of the other heroes seem to fare better against these Walker things. As the comics had done for decades, they often had to depower Superman to have him work with other heroes because, let's face it, anything they can do, he can do better. Anything you can do, I can do better. Yep. Anything you can do, I can do too. No, you can't. It's okay. Yes, I can. <laughs> uh, but Tim... And all involved will admit they didn't get that balance right at first. Uh-huh. Yeah, so yeah, I think it's too good. Batman's like, "Where's he going?" When you know, you know, Superman like decides to leave rather than engage the the thing after he's already got knocked out twice. Right. And then Batman decides to just chase after Superman once he sees the Batwing and the Air Force ain't doing diddly squat. Squat. So you know. And then we meet Wonder Woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, although they never call her Wonder Woman in this episode. episode you know no. that. Uh, voiced by Susan Eisenberg. Uh, this was the big debut of the series since now the DC Trinity was complete. Um, Eisenberg was fairly new to acting at this point, having just a handful of credits on IMDb before the landing the role of Wonder Woman. So, mm-hmm. so do we think the military all laid out with the tanks toppled, etc. at that base? Did Superman do that when Batman comes up to the secret base? Did Superman do that, or did that come from the aliens? Um, I don't know. It can tell you, interpret it either way. Uh, you know, Superman, you know, plowed. He was tearing up the doors and stuff in there. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to read that exactly. And I got another question about something along those lines in a little bit. Now we see John's true Martian form, and it's based. More or less on the design developed in the late 80s, the idea that he assumes the in-between look to play superhero came from the 1988 Martian Manhunter series by J.M.D. Mateus and Mark Badger. Mm. So they're following that. Jean's standard look is a bit more alien than some interpretations. He has a longer, pointier head and no ears with big red eyes. His green is more of a pale blue-green. It helps him look a little less like a caped Hulk. Mm. Yeah, so. I can see that. Now, Carl Lumley provides a voice of Jean, and he sets the precedent for him to be played by African-American actors, both voice actors and live-action actors. And oddly enough, Grant Morrison had said that Jean was the minority in the group, or the black character, in interviews. So, that's kind of weird. That statement seemed ahead of its time. Mm. So, Because at the time, there was no, you know, uh, Green Lantern was Kyle in the comics, so... This is actually Jean's debut in media outside the comics, having been passed over for Filmation's Justice League of America shorts and all versions of Super Friends and Superpowers. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and Carl Lumley had previously played the lead hero in the short-lived live-action series Mantis, beginning in 1994. So now here's my other question. Do we think the military was under the aliens' control when they captured Jean or not? Do you think the real military captured him, or was it the aliens controlling the military? I think it might have been a case that they had maybe replaced some key personnel with aliens. It wasn't, it's one of those cases that maybe they're like, hey, we need to get this guy. Let's keep him, you know. Mm -hmm. And they kind of fed that mindset. I don't think it was completely alien controlled, but I do think it was alien led. Okay. 
yeah, I, I think there were some key people, like you said, that influencing things maybe. So uh, I think it's funny Batman refuses to shake Jean's hand. Superman says, don't worry, doesn't trust anyone. Yes. <laughs> this is a great cliffhanger mm-hmm. for, for the debut episode. I mean, you know, you've got the three of them in danger. You know, there's huge peril. The action just like picked up all of a sudden. It's, it's really, it, it's a real nail biter. It's cool. Very cool. Okay, let's jump into part two. Superman, Batman, and John flee from their attackers as flying alien ships join in the pursuit. On Themyscira, Diana, unable to turn her back on the plight of the world, steals armaments from an Amazonian temple while she begs her mother's forgiveness. Hmm, seems familiar to certain something movie that came out that was awesome this past year. True, that, yes. John sends a psychic call to other heroes, and soon the cavalry arrives. Green Lantern, John Stewart, and Hot Girl join the fray, disabling the flying ships. When Hot Girl is injured, Princess Diana arrives to shield her with her bracelets. Allow me. Who's the rookie in the tiara? I'm not sure. Thanks. Oddly enough, the fastest man alive is late for the party as the Flash arrives after the battle is over, carrying a piece of the damaged Batwing. The heroes confer, and Jean explains his history with the invaders. Centuries ago, during a time of peace and prosperity on Mars, the alien fleet arrived just as they did on Earth. The peaceful Martians were forced to go to war, but eventually, as hundreds of years rolled on, the Martian civilization was all but wiped out. The parasitic invaders captured some to feed off their psychic energy, even managing to absorb the Martians' natural shape-shifting abilities. Finally, a group of Martians attacked the aliens' central headquarters with a specially developed nerve gas that paralyzed them. John was the only surviving Martian, sealing the entire invasion force behind large barricaded doors and standing watch over them for years. During a hibernation cycle, J. Allen Carter stumbled upon and unlocked those doors, unleashing the aliens who set their sights on the nearest inhabitable planet, Earth. As the heroes talked, the media was released one last horror, giant factory fortresses. It released smoke and atmospheric changes to block out the sun, making the planet more suitable to their nocturnal nature. We'll have to take out those factories. Lady, this is no job for amateurs. We Amazons are warriors born. Want to test me? Let's not fight among ourselves. John, we're going to need all the help we can get. Fine. Sorry, your highness. Tactically, we'll have multiple objectives, so we'll need to split into teams. Dibs on the Amazon. You are no fun. This isn't supposed to be fun. We've got a job to do, and we will do it better without distractions. Understood? Yeah, yeah, I hear you. The heroes split up in an attempt to take out the engines. Flash and Green Lantern are unsuccessful at their site, while Superman and Hot Girl are captured in the Metropolis factory. Batman, Diana, and Jean initially fare better in Egypt, with the Dark Knight noticing the aliens avoid the sunlight even more than he does. But when they attempt to steal the crystal that powers the factory, Batman is separated from Diana and Jean and is seemingly killed behind the sealed membrane door.
Wait! There's nothing more we can do for him. You don't mean he's... Gone. Hera, help us. Dun, dun, dun. With the setup out of the way, this episode is almost all action, and it's really done well. The fight with the ships is very well choreographed, although Superman is taken out like a chump too easily again. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, this is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, right away he's, like, shot with a blast and goes, Ugh! and gets knocked over. It's like, really? That should bounce off of him. <laughs> Come on. Uh, now we meet the last of our Justice League. These two were the most controversial choices Tim and company made, deviating from the classic Magnificent Seven. Now, Superman had met New Green Lantern Kyle Rayner in the Superman animated series episode in Brightest Day. Kyle was given an origin very similar to that of classic Silver Age Green Lantern Hal Jordan. So many folks assumed when and if Justice League came to be, it would be Kyle, or more precisely, this Hal-Kyle hybrid. But Tim and company felt the team could use some true diversity, so they selected Green Lantern John Stewart. At the time, Stewart wasn't even a Green Lantern in the comics, having been crippled and then made into a Dark Star, a competing team of intergalactic cops. The creators also gave their John Stewart a whole new character, channeling the now stereotypical angry black man persona he first had in his early appearances into a hard-nosed military man. Stewart was to be the league's no-nonsense, tough-as-nails tactician. You, I mean, that immediately comes across in the episode that he's like, you know, this is military, that you know, and you, and later on you understand why he and Hot Girl had that connection, right? Because you don't know it at first, but they're both soldiers, yeah. more or less, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. One thing to note throughout the series, especially the first few seasons, is the staff felt the traditional Green Lantern ring constructs were somewhat silly for someone who can just make a force bubble or laser beams. So that's just about all Green Lantern makes with his ring. You can chalk it up to Stewart's no-frills personality, I suppose. And later they regretted the decision somewhat. So I, I know we used to be like when he actually would make something, we'd be like, yeah, he made something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like... Well, or when he was, you know, when he was a kid. Yeah, kid stuff. In the kid stuff, you know, and then he makes... The action figures and stuff like that. It makes and giant yeah. mech and things like that, and yeah, that it's like it's like John Stewart, ex Marine Green Lantern, has like lost touch with that kid. Yeah, and the imagination that that kid had. So it kind of worked, but yeah, it is kind of you know boring that he doesn't. I mean, I know people say, oh, he makes a giant fist, he makes a giant boxing glove, blah blah blah. But yeah, he can make other stuff, you know. So. Now, Stewart was voiced in a lower octave by Phil Lamar, who was also voicing another character published by DC Comics, Static, on the Static Shock series, which began on Kids WB in the year 2000. Eventually, that show will be confirmed as having taken place in the DCAU as well, but more on that show some other time. Yes. So, and I, I, Phil Lamar, I always, I still think of him in person, and as from Mad TV. For the UPS guy. The UPS guy. These <laughs> little, the like, whole hyperactive <laughs> UPS guy yeah. with his little skinny legs and stuff. It's like a chihuahua. <laughs> and then when he's on here, he's talking like this, Walla, you need to come here. You know, it's all this super low voice. Yeah. It's like, whoa, dude. <laughs> but he pulled it off, and then he's on static, and he raises his voice even higher right. than it normally is. He's, he's got a heck of a vocal range, yeah. you know. And uh, later on, 
John and Static will have conversations with Did each other. Yeah. Did he go to a mirror and do that? I mean, you know. I don't know. He's great. So it's, yeah. Now, Hawk Girl got the chair normally belonging to Aquaman. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Rob. Uh, she and John Stewart had been used in the jail pitch to Kids WB, and that design for Hawk Girl was barely tweaked here. Well, they needed another girl. Yeah, that's. I, I mean, mean, they needed another female. They really did. Yeah, that's so. what that's what Tim uh, Bruce Tim felt like. They needed another female. He always liked that character in her visual, and plus, he did feel that having Aquaman as a regular would bring up the idea of the Super Friends, something he and the team were really trying to avoid being compared to, since they were aiming the show at kids and adults alike. Mm-hmm. So. Now, Hot Girl is voiced with Gusto by Maria Canals. I hope I'm pronouncing her name right. Perhaps best known as the mom on Disney Channel's Wizards of Waverly Place. Right, right. Yeah. So, Superman and Batman are at least aware of GL, John Stewart, and Hot Girl. I mean, they're like, Batman's like, Hot Girl, what's she doing here? You know, yeah. so, and, and, and Green Lantern shows up, like, sorry, I had, there was a uprising on Rigel 9 or something like yeah. that. Yeah, so, so they were, you know, he had put out the call you know that he was supposed to come so right yeah and and flash seems somewhat familiar with batman of course Mm -hmm. we know he met superman i like the idea that we haven't seen every adventure and every team up between these heroes right that there's some backstory that you know we don't necessarily get right of course diana makes her debut as wonder woman although as we said she's never called that here and flash is instantly smitten of course well of course (laughs) John's backstory about the invaders is, is pretty heart-wrenching. You know, in just a few minutes, you get the whole saga of this long and centuries-old war. And how old is he? You yeah. Know? And to ultimately... Hundreds of years old. Yeah. I mean, to ultimately defeat them, and he's the last one left. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's just like, oh, God, that's awful. Uh, truly horrible fate for him. Um, Green Lantern initially refuses Wonder Woman's help because she's an amateur and that, you know, goes with the whole military thing. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, we're not bringing her along, which she, you know. And, uh, you know, she's like, I'm a warrior. We were warrior born and all that, you know. So it's, it's, there's a lot of there's a lot of warrior mentality on this Justice League, you yeah. know. It's like, because, you, you know, more so than other versions of it. Because you've got John being a soldier, being a Marine, as well as a Green Lantern. You've got Hot Girl's background which later she says Thanagar's a warlike planet, planet yeah and, and that's all we know about it at this point and then you got wonder woman coming from a race of warrior women uh-huh. so you know there's a lot of uh a lot of uh testosterone being thrown around in there even by some of the females yeah. <laughs> uh, it showed but it shows that these characters are going to rub each other wrong from time to time this isn't the super friends yeah and they don't all have the stock personality that, no. that the super friends or the silver age justice league had and even flash and green lanterns you know they've, they've got kind of a relationship it's a bit of a switch that from the comics where hal and barry were always fast friends huh uh <laughs> but uh you know with with John Stewart and the Flash here, it's more like Ben Grimm and Johnny oh, Storm. That's a good good comparison. Yeah, yeah. The gruff the gruff older veteran and and the smart ass kid. Yeah. You know, so yeah. Another thing we could discuss is Hot Girl's magic mace, which seems more powerful than Superman himself yeah. at times. And maybe it's at Mjolnir level as far as comic weapons go, you know. I mean it's not I mean she does got the little electrical field that comes on around. Right, it. but yeah, and they don't 
tell us anything about this mace for a long, a long time. time. A couple seasons in at least. Yeah, so, you know, right now, I admit I got a bit annoyed by how powerful it is. You know, like, she can just come up and whack one of the ships and it goes careening down to a mountain and explodes, but then Superman gets blasted and falls <laughs> over. Yeah, so it's like, uh, you know. And then when they're captured, I know Superman, he gets electrified, which I always, like, Superman always got electrified on the animated series in Justice League. It's like that, you know, that there's that old Superman cover with him, like a Wayne Boring cover where lightning's hitting him in the chest. And it's like, it tickles, you yeah. know, but yeah, he can touch something on here and it's like, ah, you know, and gets, but he passes out before hot girl does. Mm. It's like, <sighs> I think it's funny that when Diana jumps the gun in battle, Batman tells John, let's see what she can do. Well, you don't really know Jean either, Batman. You yeah. just met this guy. Yeah. They're all, I mean, these two are both rookies, you know. So, I think it's kind of funny. But uh, Jean phasing his hands through the aliens is kind of gross. But then you can understand, he's, you know, brutality toward them. I mean, it's it's cool, though. It's a cool move. So, of course, we know Batman isn't dead. But what a way to end the show. You know, right. That's a nice, nice little cliffhanger bit there. So we're going to take another quick promo break, and we come back, we'll discuss part three of Secret Origins. All I wanted was to send a signal to Mars. How, how could I have known it would teleport you here? Whoever you are, forgive me. An alien, an innocent one, stranded on this planet. It was a golden age. Our Martian civilization was at the height of its peace and prosperity. White Martians came from beneath the planet's surface, bringing fire from the planet's guts, and they burned us all. Every trace of our once great civilization was obliterated. I lost my family, my wife, and my daughters. I was the only survivor, the last of my kind. I sought refuge on your planet. On Earth, I was hunted for 50 years. The humans are terrified of what they don't know. And sadly, I happen to fall into that category. Detective John Jones is what you might call my human alter ego. I'm not the only thing from outer space that's come, but right now I'm the only thing that can stop alien invasion. I dealt with these phantoms when I was a bounty hunter. I know how powerful they can be. I can't fight these fugitives alone. My name is John Jones, also known as the Martian Manhunter. Telepathy is one of my many abilities. I am a shapeshifter. Martian manpower? Flight. I change my state or phase. I'll call upon new powers. I'm Mars' sole survivor. There's a reason for that. I will defend Earth. The title head of Diabalu, a podcast for John Jones, the manhunter for Mars, his world, and the vile menagerie of villains he must confront. Available through iTunes, Shout Engine, and the Internet Archive. Stop and listen! Stop and listen to me! Listen! Listen! Listen to me! They're not human! Everyone! They're here already! You're next! November 4th, 1988. Earth is invaded by an alien alliance composed of several species, including the Dominators, the Kuns, the Danigarians, and the Durlins. And they want our superheroes. Even though Australia has been decimated, the United Nations response is unequivocal. Drop dead. First Strike, the Invasion podcast, takes you back to that moment in time and covers the entire Invasion DC Comics crossover. Issue by issue, tie-in by tie-in. Join Bass and Siskoid at fireandwaterpodcast.com or on iTunes. First Strike, the Invasion podcast. 
a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Remember, Melbourne. Okay, we're back. Let's wrap this baby up. Okay. The remaining heroes regroup in Metropolis and witness mankind at its worst, taking advantage of the chaos through looting and giving in to despair, but also at their best when normal people working together to save others. Don warns his new friends that the Imperium, the supreme intelligence which controls the invasion, is fast approaching Earth. They make their way to the factory holding Superman and Hawkgirl in an attempt to free them. They reach their allies only to find them to be invaders in disguise. Senator J. Allen Carter stands before the captured and weakened heroes and reveals that the real Carter never returned from Mars, and he is, in fact, an alien himself. Superman then realized he was duped into disarming the Earth, weakening any defense they may have had against the invading fleet. The jellyfish-like Imperium arrives as a shuttle descends into the factory from the massive mothership. The Imperium sends his tendrils into Jean's body and psychically attacks his old foe, pulling him inside his gelatinous body, determined to make sure he finally destroys all the Martians. Jean Jones, it's been a long time. centuries. And I will never bow before you or any of your kind. Then we will personally see to finishing what should have been accomplished long ago. The elimination of the last Martian. Just then, Batman appears and plants a device on the engine's power crystal. It begins to reverse the ionization of the device and the cloud and storm cover over Metropolis begins to break. Jean had used his powers to shield Batman's presence from the invaders' minds and technology. As the sunlight makes its way into the factory, its rays begin to melt the alien troops, while Batman frees the other heroes. The sunlight also repowers the Man of Steel, who soon joins the other freed heroes in turning the tide. Making massive holes in the fortress, the sun dissolves the alien soldiers. Question about that later. Okay. Just pinning that. Okay. The solar rays began to cause the Imperium to boil as Jean holds him by his tentacles. He manages to escape to his shuttle without the sniveling J. Allen Carter, who is reduced to a pile of goo, just like his fellow invaders. The Imperium doesn't get far as his shuttle is brought crashing down into the factory by Hot Girl and Diana, and the entire structure begins to explode. The heroes rescue the captured humans and barely make it out, just as the factory and Imperium inside succumb to a massive explosion while the giant mothership quickly retreats for deep space. Later, Snapper Carr informs the world that the heroes have disabled and defeated the remaining aliens, and order is restored to the world. In an orbiting space station developed by Wayne Aerospace, the heroes convene, and Superman, who now realizes he can't do the job alone, pitches the idea of staying together as a group to safeguard the planet from further threats. I once thought I could protect the world by myself, but I was wrong. Working together, we saved the planet. And I believe that if we stayed together as a team, we would be a force that could truly work for the ideals of peace and justice. What, like a bunch of super friends? More like a Justice League. Despite feeling the whole thing is kind of corny, Flash agrees, along with Green Lantern and Hawkgirl. Diana finds man's world intriguing and also joins, 
despite knowing her mother will not approve. Batman refuses official membership, but offers to help when he is needed, and he knows he will be. John laments the loss of his world, and Superman sympathizes. The Man of Steel knows they can never replace his family, but offers their friendship. The heroes welcome their new friend onto their team. John, are you all right? My family and loved ones are long gone. I am the last of my kind. I know the feeling. Now, Mars is dead, and I am alone in the universe. Jean, we can never replace the family you've lost, but we'd be honored if you could learn to call Earth your home. Come on. There you go. There is the Secret Origins of the Justice League. And of course, Secret Origins is a, uh, in itself, is a tried and true uh, subject for DC, a title. You know, it was a specials in the 60s. It was a series of, of uh, you know, specials in the 70s. Digest, the series that Ryan covered on Secret Origins mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, you know, that's just a DC thing, the Secret Origin of Superman, of Batman, of the Justice League. Uh, so, you know, it made perfect sense to call this one Secret Origins. So, uh, when we begin this episode, we see the satellite dish from the beginning of episode one is being repaired just in time to find that the Imperium's massive mothership is approaching the Earth. Mm-hmm. So, it's a nice little callback there. I like that. Now, Carter's reveal as an invader to me was a surprise. I remember originally thinking he was going to come forward and reveal that he knew about what he had found on Mars, but no, the real Carter is actually dead. Yeah. I mean, Justice League didn't have any problem dealing with death, unlike Batman animated series on Fox. It loosened up more on WB and now even more on Cartoon Network. Right. I mean, you know, you would never have seen that. Mm-mm. No, they would have never allowed that to happen to be inferred that he had died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish there was some dialogue about Superman being underpowered by the lack of sunlight it's implied later because when the sun comes in, it's like heat vision kicks in and he like, you know, starts freeing himself. But, you know, all we see is their hands and feet covered in the organic goo of the floor mm-hmm. of the factory slash fortress. You know, a few lines about it nullifying their powers or flubbing their concentration to use their powers would have sufficed. As it stands, it just seems like any one of them could have busted loose from that. Right. I mean, just you know, even if they were in those pods, mm-hmm. I think it would have been better than it, it. Just yeah. Now I have to say, the Imperium's design isn't quite as cool as the Walkers or the Alien Soldiers. I think he's kind of goofy looking, to be and honest. Why did why does he look like that when all the rest of them look you know humanoid? Why is he you know I don't know gelatinous? You know he looks like a he looks like a jelly heart with or a like a heart jellyfish with tentacles. Mm, it looks like yeah. it's just it, he's too cuddly looking. I don't. I just I just really wasn't. It was kind of a you know let down after the way the other guys mm. look. But but despite that, it's it's pretty freaking disturbing when he sticks his tendrils Ooh, into yeah. John. I mean that's like nightmare fuel. It's like ugh. it even goes up his neck and across his head. <laughs> now I had forgotten that John was shielding Batman ever since the end of the last episode. 
I just forgot that in the story. So it was a nice surprise, and you know, it's well Very played light, out. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, some folks would lament that this is the beginning of Bat God, who does no wrong on this show. And I think the creators reign it in better than many of the comics at the time. But a lot of it probably comes from, like we said, Tim just being more of a Batman guy. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's our MVP, you know. Man, the Justice League here has no problem killing all those aliens. <laughs> nope. If there was any any question before, now they are straight up exposing them to the sun and murdering them. Uh, but, you know, I honestly don't have a problem with this in this context. They have conquered the world. What choice do they have? You know? Right, so right. They, I mean, that's one of those cases. And you have to figure that especially, you know, you have John Jones who was in a war against them. And, you yeah. know, consequence of a war is death. Right. And then you have two soldiers. Right. You know, soldiers. Yeah. You know, so that's... what they have to do. Yeah, exactly. True, yeah, yeah. So did you want to say something? Now, here's the biggest problem I have with this episode, and I hate this. But if Sun can kill them, melt them, then how do you explain how Carter, a politician... Did not melt. Before? Yeah. How do you explain that? <laughs> How do you explain that? Because you know, daggum good and well, he was out at political rallies and blah, 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 and this, that, and the other. He didn't campaign at, at midnight. <laughs> and you can't say that, oh, it only affects them when they're in their natural form because they show Carter in his humanoid form bubbling. Yeah. So that is a huge plot hole. You're huge. right. Huge. You're right. You're right. It is. Huge. <laughs> I hadn't even thought of that. Huge. <laughs> if they had even shown him transforming himself into his natural state. Yeah. And then, like maybe he had a sash on or something like that, you know, yeah. so that you could tell which one was him when he did change to his natural right. state. And then they opened up the roof, and then he bubbled. But they showed him as Carter bubbling. Huge <laughs> Mack truck plot hole. <laughs> if they had just had him transform into his regular white and black thing, and like maybe had a sash so you know who he was, right? And then he melted or boiled or whatever. Or if they said he had like he had a disguise on to help shield him from the sun and they took it off or something. And then that and you know when he revealed it to him and you know yeah that could have yeah. And then why here's the other thing you've got these um tripod walkers that seemingly are made out of the same stuff as the people. Yeah. Why didn't they meld in sunlight? Mm, good point. Well, I guess the I guess the the factory and stuff could withstand sunlight, you know, and things like that, I guess. But, yeah, I... Mac! But good point. <laughs> Mac truck plot hole. Yeah. <laughs> when Carter melts, it's really nasty, I will say that, because it looks like, it almost like he has a skeleton underneath and then just melts when he, you know, he does. Because he, like you said, he melts as Carter, and then he melts into this regular form as he's just like... Whack! You know, uh-huh. so, yeah. True nasty, but at the same time, again. Yeah, well, there's no fixing that, so thanks, Logic Lass. Um, <laughs> if you've never listened to Supermates before, Cindy, this this happens quite often. Cindy <laughs> turns into Logic Lass, and she has a Legion flight ring and everything. Um, 
Hot Girl's magic mace is at it again. She takes out the shuttle with just a few swings of her mace. Isn't this a job for Superman? I'm sorry. Yeah. I mean, I have no problem with, you know, I'm not taking it away because Hot Girl's a woman. It's because she's not Superman. Exactly. If Supergirl was there, I'd want her to do it. You know, it's just, I don't know. Uh, But why let the mothership get away? Exactly. And they're like, oh, why? See you later. Come conquer us later. Next week. We'll see you next week. Yeah. (laughs) Get reinforcements. Okay. You know, they're they're just going to try to conquer another planet. At the very least, some dialogue from... John Stewart about the Green Lantern Corps being on the the lookout for them would have helped. Yes, you know? yes. You know, and after the extreme, or even him scrambling the other Green Lantern saying, "Hey, these are on their way. I'll come help you as soon as I get wrapped up here." They didn't want to blow the next episodes. What it was because uh. yeah, just so yeah. Uh, but with in that case, but you know, after the extremes, they went to defeat them. It just to see them watch them get away was kind of odd. So, so then we get the wrap up. There's the Watchtower, which I don't know if it's called the Watchtower here, but it's going to be called the Watchtower. Mm -hmm. Now, I know Bruce Wayne is rich. Yes. But the Watchtower was a line item in R&D. You mean no one noticed where all the money went to design this giant orbiting space station? I mean, a line item. You know, I'm thinking, you know, a couple thousand dollars, but you know that this costs a couple million dollars. A couple billion dollars, right? Exactly. You know, I mean, I think... And I know that was a quick shorthand. That's how they got it. They got we've got to have a headquarters. We want something that's like the that's a cross between the the Watchtower from the current comics and the classic Justice League satellite, which orbited you know above the Earth twenty three uh, hundred miles and all that stuff. So I mean I understand that you know it, it's twenty two thousand three hundred miles above the Earth, whatever it was. But I understand that. But it just doesn't make sense that Bruce Wayne could afford to do that on his own. I know he's rich, but maybe if it was an abandoned international space station that, you know, reverted to lead investor Wayne Enterprises or something. Right, you know, or that, something. Yeah, I could kind of buy that, but this is even a stretch for Bruce Wayne. I yeah. Mean, oh, yeah. Oh, it was hidden as a line. I'm like, what kind of cash are we talking about here? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh you know, despite its dubious origins, the Watchtower is all kinds of cool. It looks like a floating castle. For oh, Pete's yeah, sake. absolutely. Yeah, it's absolutely. it's really cool, yeah. And of course, you know, the Super Friends line between uh, Flash and Superman's Superman, great. Yeah. And Superman's speech is, is, you know, is great. It's it's perfect Superman. Uh, Batman's line almost seems to justify the part-time status from Batman Beyond. You uh-huh. know, that, it's almost like why it's there, because he's going to be... On just as many episodes as just about anybody. Oh, yeah. But he He's just, on just about all of them. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a, everybody takes off a few here and there, but Batman's going to be involved in almost every uh-huh. episode. So, yeah. So, so I mean, overall, I mean, despite the plot holes that you have pointed out. I'm uh, sorry. <laughs> that's I can't fine. help it. It's just like, ah! This is a really strong start. Yes. And it's a worthy origin for the Justice League. I mean, the JLA almost always comes together from some kind of invasion Starro, Apalexians, White Martians, or even the hordes of Apocalypse from the New 52 and the recent Justice League movie. It's just how it's done, apparently. You know, you know, Bruce Timm said, the, the little, there's a little vignette on one of the DVDs that shows that, that uh, promo reel that they created for Kids WB with Robin and, and Impulse and the female cyborg. And he says something about, you know, it be, it's better than season one or something like, you know, jokingly. Uh, because you know they, 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 the guys kind of felt like that they didn't quite get their groove in season one, and 
I think little things like what you pointed out and some of our problems, the nitpicky things like, you know, weak Superman, overpowered hot girl, bat god, things uh-huh. like that. But, you know, the characters are pretty well established, and their beginning group dynamic is well established. It right. will evolve as the show progresses. And right, that, which is what anything does when you meet a new friend. It evolves over time. Sure. And the acting is really solid. You know, the voice acting, you know, film Lamar's John Stewart's voice isn't quite as deep in spots as it'll get later. But for the most part, you know, it's it's all just pretty much the way you remember them sounding. Uh-huh. And uh, it, it, it worked. And it like I said, it's, you know, very, very seldom is the first episode of anything like the best episode. There's, right. There's things kinks are working out. But I, I think they got off to a really, a really strong start with this one. So we got a couple of features that we're going to do on this show, and uh, we're going to run down, you know, uh, what we've, you know, each think was kind of uh, some of the, you know, what popped out in our head. So one that I called power action feature, who had the best, uh, you know, superpower move in this one? Power action feature. Uh, did you have one that, that jumped out at you? The one that I was just like, Oh, really? That had such potential, but didn't? Let me go on the okay. other end of it. Okay. Is when Wonder Woman uses her lasso and lassos the legs of the tripod thing. Mm-hmm. And she says, Oh, Hera, give me. There was something about the delivery of that line and the use of that whole, you know, she gives, Oh, Hera, give me strength, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Really? <laughs> you know? I mean, I know that I think they felt like they had to put that in, but at the same time, I was just kind of like, it, it sounded trite. Mm. And I was just going, Hera, give me strength. Okay. You know. So that was an anti-power action feature. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it could have been fabulous if she just went, done it, and, you know. Right. But, uh, Have her Empire Strikes Back moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, yeah. So, Battle of Hoth thing. Uh, I actually picked one when I thought Jean had a lot of great moves. Mm-hmm. Phasing his arm through the aliens, like I said, but shielding Batman from everyone. Now, that was impressive. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, he gets that. After all these years, you have finally lost. How I? You're hiding something. A secret deep in the recesses of your mind. Is this another of your Martian tricks? I sense fear. What are you hiding? Now! Batman? It can't be. I mentally shielded him so he couldn't be detected. What have you done? Reverse the ion charge. The crystal! Destroy it! Rotating chairperson. Also, we have uh, a rotating chairperson who was like, who's the who who fared best in the league? Who come out looking the best of the Justice League? Who do you think in this episode? Oh, I mean, definitely John. I mean, you, you know, think so too. Oh yeah, that's who I picked. I, you know, if he hadn't come to Earth with the knowledge that he had, the world would have been royally screwed. Uh-huh. Because, you know, basically, what it amounts to. <laughs> yeah, they would have been really messed up. Justice League communicator. So. I thought we could maybe like uh, kind of like talk about like the best line of the show or something like the whole show. So so I you know I know we've already talked about it, but you know 
flashes lying like what like a bunch of super friends that was a welcome nod to us old folks yes we know the super friends we really love the super friends but let's admit we really don't want this thing to really be like the super friends shows were but the way we remember the super friends Mm -hmm. and so I, i i like that a lot so did you have a line that popped out at you I was, I think when John when uh, John Stewart is um, getting flash out of where they had uh, sealed his boots down, he's like all oh, the stupid rookie blah blah blah, you know, just grandstanding blah blah blah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I was... love that because I was like, yeah, get him because <laughs> yeah. you know you got this you know this older seasoned soldier and he's telling us you know. For all intents and purposes, he sees Flash as a rookie, just like he sees Wonder Woman as a rookie. And right. he's just like, oh, you know, yeah. old curmudgeon you know. Of all the idiotic, bone-headed, glory-grabbing moves, haven't you ever heard of teamwork? Uh, maybe we better save the motivational speeches till later. Yeah, I, when, when, when whatever Flash says to, like, Flash is like, I, t- I call dibs on the Amazon when they were going to split up, and then it shows him and Green Lantern together. And he's like, I really don't like you, or whatever. What does yeah. he say when they're flying beside each other? He says, says, you're really no fun, or something. It's like, this isn't about fun, blah, blah, blah. You yep. know, so they, they had some, they we're going to have some great good, dialogue. Good dynamics. With yeah, them. good dialogue from them. Comic connections. So we got a few comic connections I want to point out in, in this uh, this episode. The Imperium Invaders essentially work as this show's version of the White Martians. Uh, Sure, they aren't native to Mars, but they did spend centuries on Mars before coming to Earth. The White Martians were the villains in a story that I feel has many similarities to this particular uh, three-parter. The origin of the Justice League minus one from Justice League of America, Volume 1, number 141, July 1977, written by Steve Englehart with art by Dick Dillon and Frank McLaughlin. In that story, the Justice League kind of sort of forms... When white Martians invade the Earth, John Jones' secret presence on Earth is revealed to the future Justice Leaguers in that one. That particular story will partially inspire DCAU alumni Darwin Cook's masterpiece, DC The New Frontier from 2004, which of course was also adapted into an animated movie, where the heroes of the world unite alongside a recently revealed Martian Manhunter against the power of the center. Uh, The white Martians use their shape-changing abilities to pose as a new group called the Hyper Clan in the debut story in JLA number one through four by Grant Morrison, Howard Porter, and John Dell. They pose the superheroes in that. In the course of the story, Batman is thought dead, but is the only leaguer remaining uncaptured or defeated and discovers the heroes are Martians with a weakness to fire. Sound a little familiar? Mm-hmm. The Watchtower base on the moon is established as Justice League headquarters in that story as well. The Imperium's towers, factories are very similar to the world engine seen in Man of Steel. That, you know, Dodd brings about. And, of course, you pointed out Wonder Woman stealing her armament and outfit will be adapted for her own solo movie in 2017. Mm -hmm. So, of course, while not a comic connection, this story has elements from many alien invasion story and films. The pods and the aliens in disguise bring to mind invasions of the body snatchers, both the original and the remake. And it goes without saying, of course, that H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds was a huge influence on this story. The granddaddy of all alien invasion tales can't help but influence every similar story that followed. But Secret Origins here has giant walkers that emerge from meteors and aliens that are eventually defeated by something in the Earth's environment, as well as many other similarities to the original Wells novel or its various media adaptations to radio, like the Orson Welles radio play, 
films like the George Powell film and even television, that cheesy 80s syndicated television series version. So before we go, we did do a, we said we were going to have a meter on, uh, you know, the count of, of, of Superman getting blasted, knocked out easily. Uh, we want to call it the not-so-Superman count. Not-so-Superman count. Uh, so I went back and looked again, and this is being generous because I didn't count. I, I didn't count like both. The only psychic attack I counted was where he actually fell. Mm. The other two, he didn't like fall over or anything. So Superman got knocked out seven times that he probably shouldn't have that I counted. Uh, for Hot Girl's magic mace meter, Hot Girl magic mace meter. Uh, we had five times that she did things with that mace that you know, since they didn't tell us what that does, that she shouldn't have been able to do. So that that's so, so again not trying to I know we start sound like we're being like overly critical or something we're not we're having fun with it we know that the show evolves and change and grows and it evolves into a powerhouse yeah but you know it's 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 not quite as on firm ground as it'll be mm-hmm. later on and as we progress through the show we'll have a lot less nitpicks I think mm-hmm. uh, so I mean you know but still very very solid opening. Great introduction to the characters. Great, uh, you know, alien invasion threat. Perfect origin for the Justice League. Uh, so I, I enjoyed watching it. It's been a long time since I watched this one again. It was fun to watch. So that'll do it for this time. Uh, join us back here next time on Cast, and we will discuss the next two episodes of Justice League. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first regular two, two-part episodes. They involve the Green Lanterns that you said, why didn't he just call the Green Lanterns? Well, we'll find out where the Green Lanterns are in the next episode in Blackest Night Part 1 and 2, which is pretty well based on a famous Justice League comic story we'll also mention as well. Mm -hmm. So thanks for listening to JLU Cast, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. JLU Cast is a Franklin & Franklin production in association with Bugaloo Enterprises, worldwide and is a proud member of the fire and water podcast network the characters and properties mentioned in this show are copyright their respective holders likewise all audio clips are copyright their holders and no infringement is implied so please don't sue mommy and daddy emails can be sent to supermatespodcast at gmail.com comments can be left at fire and water podcast Com. Find us on Facebook by searching for JLUcast and FW Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter by using the hashtag FWPodcast. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thank you for listening to JLUcast. Whoa, where have you been all my life? The mascara. Huh? <laughs> <laughs>